Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm here with the extraordinary Agent Smith, Mr. Bilyeu. What up? How's it going? It's going well. I'm still trying to die of a hacking cough, but That's other right. than that, all is well. <laughs> that cough is plaguing you. Yes. It's your nemesis right now. It is right now, I have to admit. But, Since you have uh, to speak so much, it's not fun it to, isn't. to be coughing. Well, uh, this is After Impact, the show where we unpack the impact of this week's episode with Dean Kamen. Kamen. Yeah. Dean Kamen, um, inventor, m- hundreds of patents. 440. That's, that's madness. That's crazy. That is madness. Like, how many patents per year is that in your career? It's yeah. like dozens. It's a lot. Uh, entrepreneur. Done so many amazing things. Uh, Segway inventor. Yep. Um, auto syringe. Indeed. The ever popular. Yeah, I don't even really know what the auto syringe is. <laughs> Do you? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I looked it up for the research. So yeah, yeah I've seen it. But um, I, in the beginning, it was really popularized for diabetics. Okay. So back in the early days, it was the first at home one. Oh, nice. That's great. <coughs> That's a really important invention. Yes. Um, yeah, this super interesting interview. I think people really were resonating with this one. I was reading some of the YouTube comments. Um, this is another Abundance 360 special. Mm. So thank you, Peter Diamandis. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but let's dive into it. Uh, Dean had a lot of really cool like little soundbite phrases that he said throughout the episode that were really interesting. Um, I'm going to read some of those throughout this episode. But uh, the first is he said, knowledge is a commodity. And I was like, whoa, that kind of shook me. (laughs) And, um, you know, don't focus on knowledge. And we titled the episode, um, or imagination was one of the things that Dean was talking about a lot. Knowledge is a commodity because we have this phone in our pocket that we can access Mm. knowledge at any any moment, any, all the world's knowledge. So I want to ask you, because you talk so much about execution and the importance of that. And Dean was um, really stressing the importance of imagination. Where does imagination kind of stack up against execution in your mind? Against execution, that's really interesting. So I, I am a big believer in putting that quote 
from both Dean, who's echoing Einstein and Einstein into context and, and what they mean. And that's why I opened with asking him, like, what do you think Einstein really meant by that? Mm. Because to answer how it stacks up against execution, you have to understand what they really mean. Because they don't mean daydreaming or what most people think of as imagination. They think of it as sort of this childish thing about being able to imagine purple clouds and pink dragons. Like mm -hmm. that's not what they're talking about. What they're talking about is being able to look beyond what already exists and to, in the case of Einstein, his big breakthrough came from imagining himself, I think it was like on a train or traveling on a light beam, whatever it was, it was going the speed of light. And he yeah. was like, okay, what would happen if the, I then hit a flashlight? Would the beam of light be like next to me? And he realized, no, it would race away from me at the speed of light. And A, like, what the fuck? Like, why would you think that? I'd be like, yeah, it'd be right next to me. Yeah. Like, cause if you think I'm throwing a ball at the same speed I'm traveling, like you see those, like the cannons that shoot a ball in the opposite direction that the truck is racing. Have you ever seen that? And no. it literally just drops straight down. It is so weird. And so that was how I would have imagined it. Mm -hmm. So really what they're talking about is that ability to accurately imagine something that nobody has a proof for, to really be able to suss that out. Now, why do I bring that up when I'm talking about execution? Because... You've got to really understand the problem. And to understand the problem, you've got to have thought deeply about it, which mm -hmm. Dean talks at length about how, while he didn't fit into the traditional education system, he was thinking deeply about this stuff. So execution is actually about knowing what to do. Now, when you understand the problem, like I'm going through this imagination, like this question is as if you and I had talked about it, but we actually didn't. <laughs> This is what I've been doing for the last two hours upstairs is really thinking about, okay, how do we solve the direct-to-consumer problem in the comic book market? Because I think that's the problem that has to be solved. And then ultimately, we're going to have to solve that in film and TV, but one problem at a time. <laughs> uh, so Netflix has obviously already done it yeah. in film and TV, but anyway. So on comics, I'm really thinking a lot about how you do that, and you have to be able to imagine things that aren't there. But it starts with me trying to understand how we've ended up with the system that we've ended up with, mm -hmm. what is the nature of the system, like who is it serving, what is it doing well, um, and when you understand that, when you understand how everybody interacts with it, you understand the pain points, then you can draw on, and this is where imagination can be cultivated, because I have experience outside of the comic book industry, outside of the entertainment industry, I can look at this problem, and there are solutions to some of the stuff that seems so obvious to me, because it's how other industries do it. Mm -hmm. Now, it wasn't obvious to me when I was in food like I was like what the hell like I didn't understand how any of it worked I didn't it took me like two years to understand what people mean by channel mm. which now seems so obvious I could not wrap my head around what a channel was what channel conflict was like none of it made sense and so you know over time you begin to really understand it because you're interacting with people and you see them get emotional about something you're like oh like when you can understand the human impact of something, that's when you really, really understand it. Mm -hmm. So when you wrap your head around a problem like that, all of a sudden, if you can see it from a different angle, that's imagination. So to me, it isn't so much like how does imagination contrast with execution. It is a fundamental part of executing because unless you're just going to copy people, you've got to imagine something by starting with a real deep understanding of the problem and like experience from outside that problem, then you can imagine something that's never been done with that particular problem and be able to solve it in a unique way, which is, of course, exactly what Einstein did 
which is literally what Dean does on a day-to-day -day basis, mm -hmm. what does 440 patents speak to? So in other words, you need to be executing uh, to understand problems, to acquire skills, so that you can do the type of imagination that's going to allow you to solve big problems. Yeah, you, you've, like, my obsession right now is getting people to understand what execution really is. So people get it in sports, so I'm going to use a sports analogy. Michael Jordan was a better player than other people. Steph Curry is a better player than other people. LeBron James is a better player than other people. And because of that, to quote Kobe Bryant, who also was better than other people, <laughs> booze don't block dunks. People can say what the fuck they want. They can hate on you all day. They can bring the best of their skill set, which they have honed and trained to try to stop you. And they still can't stop you because you can execute. Your skill set gets a result that is desirable. Now, if people could like really wrap their heads around that, they would stop trying to learn something to check a box. They would stop trying to learn something to please their boss. And they would start realizing that you can become the boss by being better than everyone else. So yes, to leverage imagination, you have to understand the problem, but you also have to have the skill set to then go deploy against your imagination. Because mm -hmm. so many people stop at like, I'll get criticism on my interviews and stuff. And I'll think, this is actually really good criticism, but it's delivered because they're angry about it. And I'm like, why are you angry? <laughs> like if you, if you're not doing an interview show because you're not capable and the anger comes from thinking that you can actually out execute me, but I don't know, like how is some secret part of you not going like present this as, Hey, maybe this will be useful to you. Recognizing that this is fucking hard. Like it's a big endeavor from, convincing people to come work for me, that go out and get the guests, that builds the sets, that do the lights, that show up, ah, all of that. And then to ask the questions like, uh, it is so confusing to me when people not criticize, that's not confusing, that's beautiful, I'm grateful for that. It's when it's vitriolic, like they're mm. angry. And I'm just like, yeah, this is somebody who's not thinking like through all the steps of getting good at something and being able to deliver it. So they're looking at it like, oh, this is easy. I get it. I understand it better than you. Why are you such an idiot and not doing this? So get good so you can execute, not so you can heckle, I guess is the, the punchline there. Yeah. And I think if I remember correctly in the episode, Dean says that you have to have the, you have the imagination and you have that big idea and, <coughs> and think about something that doesn't exist. And then you do the work to do all the proofs and calculations to support that theory that you have. So you need to have the, the skills in place in order to do that. That's process. really interesting. And he didn't go into it in the episode, but let's talk about intuition now. Intuition is trained. Intuition is built. Intuition is crafted. It's constructed. It's you out in the world engaging with that thing that you want to be good at. Mm. That, that's that Einstein moment. That's the moment that Dean is talking about where you have some insight that feels like it comes out of nowhere, but it didn't come out of nowhere. And so think about somebody who um, conjures up the notion of a pink elephant. And it just seems like it bubbles up from the subconscious. But it didn't. You had to learn about elephants. You had to learn about the color pink. You mm. had to learn how pink is different than gray. Like you had to understand that that's a surprising combination. And that in its surprise is its value. So... All of that stuff, you train it. So it's like, I can't tell you how I used to have exactly zero intuition about business. Zero. And 
I really, really wish people, I, I want like a little version of me. Have you ever seen those, uh, when a race car driver does laps and they ghost it with the, the speed of where it was in the previous lap? Yeah. So you can actually see like the current racing compared to what you were doing before. I wish people could see like me ghosted here, like unable to talk eloquently, did not understand the concept, concepts at all, was just like constantly beyond anxious, like, because then you would see like this is all a process of training your intuition by getting the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours and like interviewing was the thing that I think I developed the most intuition for which by the way I still think I'm fucking terrible at I think interviewing is brutally difficult but when I think about how far I've come and how much I can read someone's body language the structure of their face which I talked about in the uh, Vanessa Van Edwards Mm -hmm. episode Mm -hmm. like just on and on and on but at first it started with me guessing and I would lob a guess out and see, like, did that land? Mm-hmm. And I would start vocalizing this and trying it and always looking at, okay, this one interview might be embarrassing. I might be totally off, but it's going to train my intuition. So anyway, punchline, train your intuition. This is how you get good at things. Even something um, like that is, it's built, it's constructed over time. And then it's, because of that, it seeps into your subconscious and it will cough up answers that seem to come out of nowhere, but you spent a very long time training it. That's great. Uh, another sort of one-liner that Dean says in the episode is that truths are transient. And in the context of that quote is he's talking about uh, companies that aren't able to kind of let go of these truths that they hold dear to them because it's what they've built their business around and things evolve, context changes, and suddenly what they believed was true is no longer true anymore. Mm. Um, How can people how can you kind of get better at sort of letting go of quote unquote truths and being able to evolve with the times and see things differently? All right. So this is a two-step process. So step one is you've got to believe that that's the right way to go about it. So most Mm. people, they cling to being an expert Mm -hmm. and that feels really good, dude. It feels really good. Like I love it when people are like, Oh man, like you really know this shit. Right. And I think about how far I've come and ah, like that's amazing and it feels good. And I know it's a death trap. And that's why I'm like constantly like checking myself going, whoa, nothing is more dangerous than thinking I really understand the shit. And then the second part of that equation is to dive really deep. In fact, I'll just say this. Reinvent yourself every 10 years. Mm. If you reinvent yourself every 10 years and you're forcing yourself to dive deep into something completely new, all of a sudden those cross connections that I was talking about where I'm now in the comic book world taking what I learned in food and applying it going, whoa, like these guys are so far behind the times. It's crazy. They're like in the 1950s. I'm not kidding, dude. It is so ridiculous. (laughs) It's like hysterically laughable. And because there's a, a monopoly, there's one distributor one distributor dude you can't do that yeah like that doesn't foster innovation it doesn't foster competition nothing so it's like the industry is stagnant it's crazy town but that means that i can go from this really dynamic industry where it was like self-evident there and just go oh we'll just apply that over here and so i forget who i was talking to about this from a nobel prize perspective and they were saying nobel prizes almost always go to somebody at the fringes of their science wasn't it um taylor wilson Maybe. I can't swear to that. But let's say that it was. So that you find somebody who's bringing um, chemistry and physics, right, together. And that's where the the breakthrough exists because they're able to apply their understanding of one thing to that other thing. And that's really critical. So those two steps, that's what you have to do. One, know that it's the right thing to always, like, 
hedge, like check yourself, not think of yourself as an expert. Always be looking to like know that if I can prove that I'm wrong about this, then my thinking will evolve. That's always better. And then two, to reinvent yourself constantly so that you're able to draw on a deep wealth of knowledge. Yeah, I like that. Uh, we actually had a comment from uh, someone who watched video, Ali Gilpin. He was writing notes to himself or, or to the, the rest of the audience and saying, um, the adult idea of knowing stuff can actually be a down, downfall. When you think you're an expert, you're not used to new ways of seeing and doing things. So just love that note. I love that whole um, part of the episode. It was, it was a good one. Mm. All right. Um, let's switch it up a little bit. Um, let's talk about education. And this was a main focus of the episode with all of Dean's work with his organization first. Mm. He says uh, we, he believes we don't have an education problem. We have a cultural, or not an education crisis, a cultural crisis. What do you think? Well, I thought that his take on it in the episode was really fascinating and that he's operating from the position of um, let's not say that we have a supply and demand problem. Let's instead intentionally, like maybe we do have a supply and demand problem, by the way, but like let's just look at it from a different way. What if that isn't the issue, but instead... People just don't care about what's being presented to them. Mm. And I think that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of truth to that. So here are my quick thoughts on education. I'm not an expert. You should follow only my logic. You definitely should not like take my words at face value. I think that that's really important for everybody to know that I know about that. Um, but at a glance, I will say that the number of hours you have to put into teaching is so insane that the only way that you're going to attract really intense talent is to celebrate it and make it a way for people to make a very substantial amount of money. They don't have to go into it to get rich, but like, dude, you can't fight that hard for 55K a year, whatever like a salary is. Like, you've got to go, you've got to be making a buck 20 or something. Like, yeah. you've got to feel good, feel comfortable right. so that people looking at it go, hey, that's like a decent living. Like, yeah. I can really do something with that. And then, like, you can really get people that would go into that because there's some upside to it. So that's big. And then I think that we really have to, as a society, check ourselves and go, let's run the data. How are we doing, like compared to the rest of the world? Like understand what the purpose of education is. The purpose of education is partly to be able to compete as a nation. Yeah. And right now, damn, like <laughs> we're not doing, like we're importing talent. But now the other countries sure. that we've been importing talent from for so long, like China, like India, are starting to build infrastructure where they can compete and pull people back. So now we're educating the shit out of them, making a lot of money in higher education, but they're leaving again. And so I think we may find ourselves in a very dangerous situation where we don't have enough engineers or whatever like the hard thing is that we really need that we've been importing all this. And I forget who said it. Oh, they were so recent. Um, and they were saying that 100% of their doctoral candidates in engineering, I forget, I think it was that though, 100% were from other countries. I was just like, Jesus. So yeah, I think that we need to incentivize people to go into education. Um, I think that we have to be really thinking about why we educate. And then three, oh, don't tell me that this is slipping my mind. 
Um, oh, three, we need to look at the way that we teach people because I think that it is super fucking outdated now. Mm. And I think that what we should be teaching people is how to think, how to solve problems, issues around mental health, dealing with mindset. Sounds super weird, but like, dude, it, it is like the most foundational. I took a class. I'm not joking. I know how to sew a fucking pillow, but what? I did not. Yes, but <laughs> I did not know how to like think about mindset. Like, that's crazy yeah, town. True. I, I have used mindset a lot more than I've used sewing pillows, if we can really be honest. Yeah, I haven't seen any of your handiwork. Yeah, that's because no one cares, <laughs> including myself. What do you think about Dean's whole approach of really making uh, education this exciting, uh, you know, almost sport-like event where he called it... Um, what did he call it? Co-opetition? Yeah, co-opetition. Yeah. I, that, I think, is sort of to the side of... That speaks to his personality about not wanting to make it um, too like sports where it's like, ha-ha, we beat you. Yeah. But I think it is utterly... Two things... It's utterly fascinating. Two things about that are fascinating. Number one, that it is going to encourage people who want that thrill of the victory and the pursuit and um, playing, on a, playing a sport and competing and all that. And then two, that people look at it sort of cross-eyed and that it's so hard for him to get this going in more and more schools. And the equipment is donated. So it's not like this is some big expense on the part of the schools. They go to local businesses and to big companies and say, you know, hey, here's this thing that we're doing to donate this material. And it's still really hard to get people to like back that notion that that would be good for the kids, that they could get excited to show them something new. So it is a little surprising to me, like how hard it is for him to like get uptake that he's been doing this, what, for like 29 years or something yeah, crazy like yeah. that? So. Yeah, that I love it. I want to see more people using the natural human inclination towards entertainment, um, whether that's in sports or just like the sort of celebratory storytelling aspects of things like movie stars and things like that. It was somebody else that was saying like, you get what you incentivize and celebrate. It wasn't him. He said something very similar, but somebody else had said this recently. And, oh God, who was it? And they were saying, oh, I think it was Naveen. And mm -hmm. he was saying, Naveen Jane, he was saying like, Take your local entrepreneurs and young upstart people and put their posters up all over town and just say, like, these are the people that are really trying to create jobs or be innovative or whatever. And by putting them up and celebrating them and saying that they're doing something extraordinary, he was like, more people will want to do that. And so I heard an echo of that in Dean's thing, which is, hey, we all celebrate athletes and filmmakers and all that. Like, let's start celebrating, finding a way through competition, through these big things with cheerleaders and all that stuff. Um, where it's a celebratory atmosphere, it's fun to participate, it's fun to watch and educate people that way. So I think that's super important. Yeah. All right. I want to read a couple of comments from YouTube and then ask a follow-up question. First one is from Isaac Wilson. Uh, Isaac says, I'm a dyslexic mechanical engineering student and this was incredible. Best impact theory I've seen yet. And that's saying something. <coughs> Thank you, Isaac. That was cool. And then this one's from Units... Erez. This is Units Erez. It's just oh, one word. There it is. <laughs> I've never wanted to cry watching one of your videos before. This one, 
uh, had some tears welling. He described his thinking during exams about schools and his curiosity is like how I thought, yet he managed to accept the differences between a system and himself and rise above the problems. It feels good to be different and yet not alone. He's taught me to embrace our idiosyncrasies and maybe find a way to take advantage of it. I'm in love. That was a nice comment. Yeah, that was cool. How do you, how can people think about leveraging their idiosyncrasies? Like Dean so, did so well, I think at a young age, he figured out that like, okay, I'm not going to be able to play their game, but mm-hmm. I can figure out a different game that I can succeed at. When he said that, I was like, how, I, and I even asked him, how did you build your self-esteem? Like in those moments, because for me at that age, it was just damaging. I didn't yeah. have any insight into I'm different and special. Like that wasn't how I thought. And so I, other than parents being aware of where you're struggling and like finding ways to feed into that, and then it makes me think of Richard Branson, same thing, right? Dyslexics really felt stupid in school um, and finds a way somehow to be like, well, I'm going to go do this thing, like what I'm good at. And his stories, like the early ways that he sold um, advertising in his, I think it was called Student Magazine, was just incredible. I mean, just really, really like that hustler, entrepreneurial mentality, which again, I did not have. So I didn't have any of these outlets and I didn't think about it in the right way. And so what I kept clinging to was what am I naturally talented at? And so that thing that I thought I was naturally talented at was filmmaking. And I was really writing on a random comment that my dad made one time, which was, I think you're better behind the camera than you are in front of the camera. Because I used to make little videos with my friends, right? And this was like, people now would think, oh yeah, of course. Back then this was weird, okay? Most people did not do this. Most people did not have cameras. Like this was VHS. You had to edit tape to tape. So you basically edited all in camera, blah, blah, blah. So I was doing that and... I don't know if my dad was trying to save me from embarrassment because he didn't think I was good in front of the camera. I don't know. But he makes this offhanded comment and I think, whoa, like that's what I should do then. I should be behind the camera. And so I just started like building my identity around that almost by accident, creating it into a passion. I mean, all the things that I talk about. And then lo and behold, I have no natural talent for it. And I find that out in a very crushing and public way in college. (laughs) And it was embarrassing and soul destroying and all of that. And I only come to a growth mindset because unlike Dean, who had this like natural insight or so it seems because he had it so early that, oh, well, I can't play their game. Well, I'm going to go do this. Now, my secret, secret hope, and he gives it in his explanation is that the anchor thing that parents can tell kids to watch out for, that friends can tell friends to watch out for is go and understand it. Don't worry about whether or not you do well on the test. Go and understand it. And that's where all of my wins have been, is one day I just decided I'm no longer worried about looking stupid. I'm going to understand this. Mm -hmm. And I remember that at Quest, this is gonna be hard to explain, at Quest I, I went, it became an asset that I knew the least about nutrition and like, biochemistry and all of that. Because my two partners had a background in pre-med. So like they really understood it and they were like bodybuilders forever. And so like they really, really understood this. Yeah. And I didn't, like I had self-experimented, but that was sort of it. And so we were all trying to deal with this one supplier of this ingredient and the ingredient just seemed too good to be true. And we would press them and press them and press them. And they always had these really slick answers. 
But we'd get off the call and be like, I still, I'm not sure. And I said, guys, I don't fucking understand this. So let me get on the phone with him. And I, until I understand it, because I'm so ignorant, I'm not filling in any blanks. So I'll ask him questions until I understand. And by the end of that conversation, we all realized it was bullshit because I just kept stopping him. No, stop, explain that because I don't get it. And just facing that embarrassment over and over and over of, yes, I'm dumb. And yes, you were dealing with the dumbest of the three of us. And yes, this is going to be painful for both of us. But in being willing to just ask over and over and over and over and over until, not until, because like, I was embarrassed so many times that I still wasn't getting it. But because I kept pushing through that and asking questions until finally I was like, now let me explain it back to you because I think I understand it. And at the end, it was like, he was like, yes, you understand it. And in that, I was like, you have internal inconsistencies. And so we knew that there was a problem. So like, that's so powerful. But people are so afraid to go, yeah, I don't get that. Mm -hmm. Like, answer that again. So they default to, I'm stupid, that's bad, I need to shut my mouth, instead of, I need to really understand this. So Dean, at a very early age, realized, I'm just going to go understand it. And if I don't pass a test, so be it. But I'm making all these unique connections that they're not even making because I'm taking the time to actually learn. Right. So let me ask this question then. How do you get over the issue that I think um, <coughs> parents and teachers have to deal with when kids start to learn algebra and they're like, why am I ever going to need to use this? Because I think it's easy to go and want to understand something when you have, you know, you're going to need it for something, right? It's, it has utility in your life. But if it, you can't imagine that it has utility, how do you get over that? Hump? Well, let's ask the even harder question. For how many people does it actually have utility? And that's why most parents can't answer that. Most teachers can't answer that. Because for most people, it doesn't have utility. And this is one of those things where it may just be taught at the wrong time. It's taught mm -hmm. out of sequence. It's taught when somebody doesn't know what they're going to need to apply it to. Because I had to learn a lot of math once I got into business. Because I had to understand like, how to balance the finances. And like, how to project out. And like, what's EBITDA. And you know, like, basic finance stuff. And I, I would still say that I am woefully inadequate in those areas. I know enough now that I'm not going to be bamboozled. But... Like that's definitely an area on my list of things to really go and master. Mm -hmm. When I got into Quest and we were really like, we were having to manage cash flow and all that stuff. Then all of a sudden I was like, whoa, this math stuff is actually super important. And it has like all these weird idiosyncrasies about like growth rates, percentages, how percentages change. Like, ah, that I was like, Oh my God, if I had understood back in school that it, I was going to need it in my life like this, then I really would have paid attention. But like even in college, I was like, I'm going to be a filmmaker. Like none of this applies. And if I had just gone straight into what I'm doing now, other than the, the um, entrepreneurial angle of not wanting to be taken advantage of, I probably would never need it. It was only in that, you know, sort of period at Quest just shy of a decade where it was like, okay, well now it's like really important in my life and I'm really making decisions around this. So that's why I think more than we should be teaching um, like advanced mathematics and things like, I promise you I do not need calculus. And I took calculus in high school. That we should be teaching things that are far more practical, like how to think, um, self-esteem, problem solving, you know, how to deal with nutrition, like things that really echo in your life. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so 
I just want to read a quote and kind of get your reaction to it. Every, <laughs> Dean said, every kid shows up at school as a question mark and comes out as a period. I was like, oh, man. It's That's, like, yeah, that was sexy. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, I think that the education system unintentionally beats curiosity and um, wonderment out of children. And I don't have the answer to that. And I don't know that anybody does because I think that it is so wildly individual. Like what really turns me on? I know like I'm looking, I'm like getting so amped up and I'm like effusive and overflowing with something. And I look at people and they have dead shark eyes. And I just think, wow, like they're not into what I'm talking about right now. And I can barely contain myself. And when you find somebody that clicks on the same stuff you do, it is so intoxicating. Can I talk about Jim quick for a second? Please. Off camera, Jim and I click in a way I, I don't know how to explain. Like as an adult, there are few people, guys especially, that I've met that I've been like, this motherfucker. <laughs> and I'm like that with Jim. Like I have a great time. And we go to comic cons together and it is rad. And I just love yeah. it. Jim Kruger, I don't know what it is with Jim's, the guy that's helping us build our comic stuff. Same thing. I can way nerd out with him. And he's really passionate. This other guy that I just met, Mike Avila, who look him up if you're into sci-fi at all, like sci-fi the channel. Um, that guy does a lot of stuff for sci-fi wire. He's been consulting for us and teaching me a lot about the industry. And he he's like both very successful, very intelligent, and way the fuck into comics. And so talking to him and geeking out with that stuff, but how do you build an education system that can take advantage of people's weird proclivities like that? Like part of the reason I'm having so much fun solving the problems of the comic industry is I like being around the images. So when I'm reading an article about it, oh, there's images about it. Google retargeting now just retargets me with comics. So I go on a random page and there's like an image of comics and I like that. And so it's like, how do you do that as a system? How do you take advantage of the thing that drives me and makes me want to learn is that I actually care about this thing? Or even weirder, like my freakish, obsessive need to pull people out of the matrix. How do you take advantage of that? Like I will bend myself in half to do that. If you told me that I had to go sew the best pillow ever to pull people out of the matrix, then I'll go sew the best pillow. Like I would get fiendishly good at that because I know I cling to that thing that I'm trying to get to my goal. How do you take advantage of that? How do you systematize that? I don't know. I I think it's really fucking hard. And so even though like it'd be very easy to flip and just go ham about how broken the education system is, at the same time, I get it. I don't think anybody has ill will. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely a lot of experienced, smart people who are trying to work on this problem too. And we just haven't gotten there yet. But I think we'll... We'll have to revolutionize it at some point in the near future. Someone will have that key insight. And maybe it's just all online. Maybe it's Udacity. Maybe it's self-directed, like specific goal-oriented education. Where at the end of this, you're going to know how to program AI. You're going to know how to make autonomous vehicles. Like whatever your obsession is. And you just go get way educated on that. But while we're on education, I do want to put my finger on the weirdest thing about the system we're in now is it changes so rapidly. And like, if you learn how to code something today, it's going to be totally irrelevant a year from now. Yeah. Another problem to solve. Yeah. But that one's exciting for people like you and I that like to learn. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of close out the episode with a question around adaptation. Yep. Um, When Dean uh, said the quote from 
uh, Darwin mm. about it's not the strongest that survive, it's the most adaptive to change. I saw yes. a little glint in your eye because you oh, love that, that quote. quote so much. Um, so I, I just want to ask, like, how do you think we become more adaptive overall? Very, very simple. You emotionally buy into the fact that from the ground up, that is what humans have evolved to do. We are born the way that we're born, completely incapacitated so that our brain can continue to, to develop in its specific context. Humans are so context-oriented, it's the whole field of epigenetics. So whatever's happening to you right now, you're going to evolve to that thing. Now, that stays with you your entire life. So you can put yourself in a situation and know that you can adapt to that. So once you understand, like, stop being excited about being strong. Stop being excited about being smart. That's the Darwin quote. It is not the strongest of the species, nor the most intelligent that survived, but rather the most adaptive to change. Get fucking excited about that. Like, that is what you're meant to do. Okay, rad. Now, what's the mechanism by which we make that adaptation? Stress. Putting yourself in a very difficult situation. Holding yourself to an incredibly high standard. Making massive demands of yourself. On the other side of that, you will adapt to that knowledge. You will soak that in. You will get that understanding. You will be able to execute. You'll be able to do things. But, like, you have to get excited about that. You've got to, like, build that in. You've, you need that thing. I was, just, I was talking to the guys last night. Two people here stayed late with me last night. And I said, the one thing I just want you to have, like I wish for you, is to need to make something come true in your life. Like I need to help people get rid of their limiting beliefs. Like I need that. And I've turned it into that need. It is a crushing, all-consuming need that I have to make that the center point of my life. Once you have that thing, suddenly you will be fiendish to acquire the skills. You just will. Like no one's gonna have to push you or poke you or prod you because it, it's, you have to feed that need and it becomes like a drug addict has to score. I have to get the knowledge. I have to get it because I have to solve this problem. Love it. All right, well, let's wrap it up there. There it is. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. As always, truly a pleasure. And by the way, if this stuff is adding value to your life, please do share it. That would be amazing. We would really appreciate that. That's how we continue to grow this community. And growing this community is exactly how we're going to execute on our dreams of building the studio to pull people out of the matrix so you guys can do your part. That would be amazing by sharing this and getting more people hyped on it. If you're in pure podcast land, it would also be amazing if you would go leave a review, which uh, is sort of akin to sharing it. That would be amazing. So thank you guys again so much for joining us. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.